This morning's lesson is rather solemn, but it is scriptural. It is on the subject of hell. It is the fourth in a series of lessons about exploring the truth of God's Word. The theme of the lessons have been mythbusters. And because there's a wide perception in America, Christian America even, that hell is a figment of somebody's imagination. Hell is just a scare tactic to get children or adults to behave. That there's no real place called hell. And a good loving Jesus wouldn't send anybody there. It therefore begs the opportunity for us to address this subject straight from the Word of God. And so I will look with you at verse number 19 of chapter number 16 of the Gospel of Luke. These are the words of Jesus. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, which is hell, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Lazarus likewise evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them that they also may come, lest they come also to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I mean, you know, God never put scripture and Jesus never talks to waste words or just to occupy space. You know that? Amen? So, by ignoring a subject doesn't make it less valid. So, would you stretch your hands in my direction? Would you offer prayer for me this morning? I will for you and that our time will be meaningful. Father, I thank you for the anointing that still flows here. And, oh God, I thank you for the opportunity to break the bread of life to my brothers and sisters. And I pray this morning... That I would not come across as though I'm glad there is a hell and somebody's going. Forgive me if I even entertain that in any kind of way of my mind. I pray I would not come across as if I have somebody here targeted. I'll rebuke that, Lord. But I pray in like manner that nobody else in this house would come across like, it's not for me and I don't need to hear it. But I pray that you'd make us one in your word. And we who are already rescued, saved, born again 
would realize we have an obligation to save and rescue others by the same Christ who brought us in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, would you say amen, church? Amen, and thank you for being seated. Oh, we praise you, Lord. I want to get right to the word here for the sake of time. South Metro Ministries is part of the Church of God, meaning the denomination, the Church of God. The Church of God is in 125, pardon me, 125 years old as a denomination. And in 150 countries in the world, about 7 million members. Aside from many and all of the doctrines that we adhere to in the Bible, is this truth that we believe, along with all that we believe, we believe in this subject, as the Bible teaches, of a literal place called hell. In our declaration of faith, which declares our doctrinal position, Article number 14 says, we believe in the bodily resurrection, meaning of the dead, eternal life for the righteous, and eternal punishment for the wicked. We believe the Bible teaches that if we die before Jesus comes, our body goes to the grave. Our spirit and soul goes to be with the Lord. The righteous ascend to be with the Lord, their spirit, to wait the rapture. We at the rapture, the body comes up out of the ground, glorified, immortal, incorruptible. Can I get an amen? Because it'll happen so fast while the body's coming up, the spirit comes down from the Lord and meet in the midair, and they go to be with the Lord for the righteous. We believe the Bible teaches eternal punishment for the wicked, so that those that die rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting the Bible, rejecting the truth, will also experience bodily resurrection, but on that day of judgment where they will be pronounced into punishment. That's not my desire, it's not your desire, it's not God's desire, but we all have a free will to decide on what we know. In our declaration of faith, we also have what is called doctrinal commitments. What we believe and why we believe, and I'll just throw it on the screen for you so you can have some biblical support by way of the scriptures listed here. Eternal life for the righteous, and there are about five or more verses here that give you why we know the Bible teaches eternal life for the righteous. Eternal punishment for the wicked, no liberation, no annihilation. And here are scriptures in support of that very doctrine. So that I say to you that not only as a denomination, but as a church and as a minister of the gospel, we believe in a literal place and a real place that the Bible teaches call hell. But someone believing or not believing does not make it true or not true. Did you follow me? But declaring, God declaring in His Word and Jesus attesting in His teaching about the subject of hell does make it true, whether you or I believe it or not. I want to make sure you follow me. We don't vote on this, it's already written. So the Senate doesn't get to vote, and the House doesn't get to vote, and we don't get to have a referendum. Somebody says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, no, that's not right. Let me, let me help you. God says it, that settles it. Now you believe it, and you're better off for it. But it doesn't take a vote. 
And so that's, that's as it relates to the subject of hell is not pleasant. But ignoring it doesn't make it any less pleasant. And so I come to it to announce to you that there is the reality of hell. And men and women go there. And when they go, the Bible says they never return. I hasten now to just move on to, to talk to you about words in the scripture that speak of hell. And I'm going to give you a talk and a teaching as we have this moment together. The word hell comes from a Saxon word, hellan, H-E-L-A-N, which means invisible place, covered or invisible place. In the Old Testament, the word sheol refers to hell or the grave. It's mentioned 65 times. And along with meaning the grave, it also means the place of the disembodied spirits, the congregation of the dead. The word Hades, 11 times in the New Testament, is equivalent of the Old Testament word hell. But along with what it means, a shield, it also means prison with gates, bars, locks, and it's in a downward direction from the surface of the earth. The New Testament righteous and wicked are separated in Hades. I'll come back to that in a moment. There is yet another word in Scripture used to refer to hell. It's the word Gehenna. Among other things that it means, it means a place of burning. The word Gehenna is used 12 times in the New Testament, mostly used by Jesus. Gehenna refers to a place outside of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hennon. Gehenna means the place of Hennon. H-I-N-N-O-M. During the time of Jesus' ministry on the earth, the valley of Hinnom consisted of a large garbage dump where a perpetual fire consumed all the garbage and the filth and the junk of the city of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament days, at this location outside of Jerusalem, Many who worshipped the false god Molech would, in order to appease the false god Molech, would take their children and offer them in the burning fires of Gehenna in a way to please their god. Because their god, it appeared, demanded human and child sacrifice. The Bible says that Josiah came to power. This is before Jesus. And in that perpetual fire of Gehenna and Molech, when righteous Josiah came to power, he profaned Molech's altar and got rid of human sacrifice, but continued to make Gehenna a garbage dump until Jesus' day and beyond. Criminals who had no family members when they died in prison or whatever, were thrown into the fire of Gehenna. Even criminals who had no family members, and they were at the point of death, were even thrown into fire to be consumed. Dogs, wild dogs, would come to Gehenna, south of Jerusalem, as garbage and trash and humans deceased carcasses, etc., were thrown into fire. And that's where you get, the Bible talks about, there'll be gnashing of teeth. 
At Gehenna, the dogs are competing for, for rubbish and garbage and spoiled food. And they gnash growl. The word Gehenna. The place of the lost, it means. The place of future punishment. There's yet another word. We find it in Second Peter 2 and 4 that refers to hell. It's the word Tartarus. It is the place of lost angels. The abyss under Hades where the rebel angels of heaven who rebelled along with Satan that I preached about last week are imprisoned. Tartarus refers to that part of hell that is deep and bottomless, reserved for evildoers. I've already said enough to tell you, thank God I ain't going there. Pardon the grammar. And I'm here to empower you to help others to know that they don't need to go there. That's my agenda. But I'm, I'm trying to give you biblical reasons here. Now, I don't have time to enumerate all this, but I'm going to say it to you a few thoughts here. And if you get the CD and otherwise, you'll have the scripture. The Bible has much to say about hell. In Acts 2 and 31, it's called the place of disembodied spirits. In Luke 23 and 43, in Acts 2 and 31, it's a place where Christ visited. The Bible has much to say about hell. It says in Luke 16 and 23, it's a place of torment. We read it in our text. It's a place of punishment, a place of destruction away from the presence of God forever. One of the agonies of hell is eternal separation. Eternal separation from God and from all that's good. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 9. Matthew 25, 46 is said as everlasting punishment. Hell is. Matthew 25 and 41 says it's everlasting fire. Hell is everlasting burning. Isaiah 33 and 14. It's a furnace of fire. Matthew 13 and 42 and 13 and 50. It's a lake of fire. Revelations 20 and 15. Hell is fire and brimstone, Revelations 14 and 10. Hell is unquenchable fire, Revelations 3 and 12. Pardon me, Matthew 3 and 12. It's devouring fire, Isaiah 33 and 14. It is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 24, 25 and 41. The Bible says that devils and demons are confined in hell until the judgment day. 2 Peter 2 and 4. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. Revelation 20 and 10. The wicked shall be turned into hell, according to the Bible, and Psalm 9 and 17. Hell is the society of the wicked. Proverbs 5 and 5. In Revelations 19 and 20 and 20 and 10, the Word of God says the beast, the false prophets, and the Antichrist will be cast into hell forever. Ezekiel 32 and 27 says, No human power can keep one out of hell if they deliberately disavow and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only thing that can keep us out of hell is the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. Thank God we have it. In Matthew 5 and 29, the Bible says the body, physical body, suffers in hell. In Matthew 10 and 28, the Bible says the soul suffers in hell. In Proverbs 15 and 24, it says the wise person avoids hell. Can I get a witness here? 
In Proverbs 23 and 14 and Jude 1 and 23, the Bible says, We who are born again should endeavor to keep everybody that we know out of that place of hell. That's why I bring you this word today. Because it's real. And it's not meant for us. Where is hell? Most evangelical scholars will tell you that hell at present is in the heart of the earth. I noted that one of the words for hell is the word Sheol. At the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, hell was that place that housed the righteous and the wicked. It is from our lesson this morning that we know that to be the case along with other scriptures. I might remind you from our text. Two men lived and two men died. One was a beggar. His name was Lazarus. And one was a rich man whose name we do not know. The beggar died and went into Abraham's bosom in paradise. The rich man died. And our text says... And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. I will elaborate in just a moment, but let me give you why we know that both the righteous and the wicked were in hell. Because there were two compartments in hell. The lower compartment of hell, the lower Hades, is where the rich man was in our text and still is now. He says to Father Abraham... Father Abraham, because he looks in yon distance and he sees Lazarus, the man who used to beg at his gate and he used to ignore Lazarus. The rich man wouldn't even give the crumbs off his table to Lazarus. He looks while he is in hell in this lower compartment of hell and looks in the yon distance and he sees Father Abraham holding Lazarus. He says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus. He says, I don't want you to send Lazarus with a glass of water. I don't want you to send Lazarus with an ounce of water. Hell is so hot and horrific and torturous. Just let him dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Can I get a witness? Is that the word? What does Abraham say? Abraham says... Between where you are in hell and where we are in this other part of hell, there's a great gulf fixed. Is that what the scripture said I read? You can't come to us and he, Lazarus, can't come to you. Now, I I lift that up and I will clarify in a moment. In that place of where Lazarus and Abraham was, it was known as paradise. It was there before the cross of Jesus Christ, that the righteous saints were held. Not in suffering, but held against their will until Calvary. If you'll stay with me, I'll clarify, okay? Do you remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross? One of the thieves on the cross mocked him and made fun of him and said, if your God come down to this cross and save us, you just like us anyhow. 
But you remember the other thief on the other side of him said, man, you're crazy. I'm paraphrasing. This, we, we are guilty. We thieves are hanging on this cross on either side of Jesus because we sinned and done some wrong things. This is, our, this is justice for our sins and our breaking the law. But this man in the middle, ain't no fault in him. And, and that thief looked, the penitent thief, the repentant thief said, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today thou will be with me in paradise. That's the one I'm talking about. The paradise that Jesus was going to go into when they thought they put him in the tomb for three days. And his body was in the tomb. But his spirit went down into the part of hell known as paradise. You all hear me? And the Bible says Jesus went down into hell known as paradise. I'm going to get ahead of myself here. Because i got a soon whoop glory coming on. He descended into hell. In Revelations chapter 1, I think it's verse 18. The Bible says he went down into hell and led captivity captive. They thought they had put him in the tomb and sealed it and put some guards outside so the disciples couldn't steal him. They thought his body is decaying. His body was in the tomb. And he went to hell and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he said, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Jesus went down to hell to conquer hell and to deliver every man, woman, boy, and girl who were held there against their will but believed in the coming Messiah. Give a Lord a praise, somebody. Mm-mm-mm. I got to. Where do you get this, Pastor? I get it straight from the Word of God. The Apostle Creed verifies that Jesus descended into hell. According to the Word of God in Matthew chapter 12 and 40, Jesus himself said about hell that he would be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Isn't that the Word of God? Give me an amen, somebody. The Word of God continues to verify that there is a hell and that Jesus visited there. Because when I read Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10, the psalmist said about Jesus and Jesus said about himself, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer thy holy one to see corruption. I'm only going there for a brief stay. I'm not going to stay there and I'm not going to be corrupted. I'm just going to set people free because that's what he still is doing today. Can I get another amen, church? So he went to hell to declare victory over death, hell, and the grave. I remember the song as a boy growing up. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I wish somebody would say praise God. Uh, I want you to understand that Jesus on the occasion while they thought he was dead on the cross. Jesus was transferring people out of that part of hell known as paradise. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 27 and 51. This is when the saints of the Old Testament were transferred into heaven from hell. Matthew 25, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Let me slow down again. I know I'm running out of time, but listen to me. While Jesus was being crucified, the Bible said for three hours the sun refused to shine, even though it was midday. During those three hours, there was an earthquake that shook the ground under the cross and all of nature seemed to groan and moan because Jesus was dying. That earthquake 
earthquake produced a resurrection and the graves were open of many of the Old Testament saints and they got up at their grave and went all over Jerusalem meeting and greeting people but they didn't stay on the earth after that. They would already served their time. I believe they came out of the grave long enough to say that man hanging outside of Jerusalem on that cross he is the son of God and he just rescued us from hell and so keep believing and keep trusting him because the next three days from now he is going to burst the grave wide open and he is going to prepare a place for us and we'll meet you up there one day somebody put your hands together and thank God for that promise I want to show you something here this is Thanks to my dear friend in ministry, Dr. Wayne Flora, who sent me this PowerPoint with this particular, uh, this particular chart. Wayne Flora was the best man in my wedding 33 years ago almost. And because he shares his sermons with me, he's still my best man. I didn't know how to show you this, and I asked Wayne, and, and, and he's such a scholar anyhow. And he, he gave permission for me to use this and, and some, uh, some, most of the material I bring to you today. Some months ago in the summer, he sent me this message that, Pastor, if you can use it, souls to be one to God, you can. I called him up this week and I said, give me, give me something that I can teach this that put it on the most simplest term. What you have here, I don't want to confuse you, is a timeline. You see that middle of the page, the middle ribbon banner looking thing? If you can identify that, say amen. Can you see it? I know it's not large, but you see the cross on the screen, right? Prior to that cross, which you'd be looking then to my left would be before Jesus came, the Old Testament. The cross represents when Jesus came and lived on the earth for 33 and a half years. Under this timeline, we are living right now in the church age. That's what that means. Any day now, Jesus could come and call us to heaven in the rapture. And then we move, then the world moves to the tribulation, the millennium. But that's not what I'm teaching. I'm teaching about Hell. At the time of Jesus' ministry. Two compartments in hell. I just showed it to you. I said it to you by way of description. The lower compartment of the both is where the rich man Lazarus still is today. The above compartment, there's a gulf between both of them, is the comfort called paradise. Nobody's in there now. Because Jesus set him free. And when you and I die, if we die waiting for Jesus, we will not go to hell in paradise. We're going straight up to heaven. Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The cross emptied paradise. Can I get an amen? And thus heaven, everyone who dies waiting for Jesus to come, will go straight to heaven. And I thank God that you and I have that blessed hope. But the wicked dead are left in hell. Until the last resurrection, the great white throne judgment. If you die without Christ, you and you know that you should serve him. You know the truth and you don't live for him. He's given you salvation and you rejected it. Then not God sends you to hell, but we send our own selves by our willful neglect of the gift of eternal life. And so I say that to tell you, look, look at this now, same chart. Okay, I'm trying to hurry here. Th- those who die without Christ will go straight to hell. And there is torment in hell. Continual torment. I'll touch on that in just a moment. 
and they will go, they will be resurrected after, after the rapture, after we're in heaven seven years, after we come back and we, we fight the battle of Armageddon and there's a thousand years of peace and after that thousand years of peace there's known as a white throne judgment. At the white throne judgment, the final judgments of all the world, those who die without Christ will be resurrected from hell and be brought before the throne of God to be judged. They will say to him things like this. But then we go to church. Then we give some money. Then we show up every once in a while. Then we sing the songs. Then my mama pray for me. Then grandma gets saved. And Jesus will say, sorry, I never knew you. But I was a member of the church. Sorry, I never knew you. Because Jesus is interested in a relationship with us. Not fire insurance. He's not interested in just signing the dotted line of sub-church members shaking your hand somewhere and then going living like the devil and like hell and hoping that you make it. No, he's interested in perpetuating relationship and righteousness and holiness and making all of us evangelists of his kingdom. Those who are without Christ at the white throne judgment will be cast into hell. And I, and I pray and believe, and that's why I'm preaching today, that none who are present here today will suffer in hell. I'm hurrying. When are the unrighteous dead transferred? Revelation 20 and 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they would judge every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. At that great white throne judgment, everybody who have lived for God and served God and was righteous will be, will be sent into the new heaven and new earth with a glorified immortal body ruling and reigning with Christ forevermore. Those without Christ will be cast with the devil and his cohorts and his fallen angels into hell where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I hasten to say to you, not only does the Bible give evidence of hell, but there are scientists and physicians and people of all caliber of walks of life who testify that there is a hell. Some years ago, while a student at Lee University, I heard this testimony by Dr. Maurice Rollins. He's now going to be with the Lord. But before his experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, Dr. Maurice Rollins called all religion hocus pocus. And even though he was an internal medicinist and a cardiovascular physician he saw death as nothing more than painless extinction he wrote a book after his experience in 1977 that changed his life the book didn't change his life the content in the book and the experiences he had is what changed his life because of his practice and the nature of his work he had on many occasions the opportunity to resuscitate people who were called clinically dead. You all know what I'm talking about? And some of these people, while they were clinically dead and he was working on them, CPR or whatever else, had what is known as outer body experiences. And there was a particular occasion documented by Dr. Rollins, and I will read his own words to you so that you'll know these are not my fabrication. Neither would I do it, but I want you to see from his book. One occasion he was working with a particular man who was clinically dead. Dr. Rollins said each time he regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I'm in hell! He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. Then I noticed a genuinely alarmed look on his face. 
He had a terrified look worse than the expression seen in death, Dr. Rollins said. The patient had a grotesque grimace expressing sheer horror. His pupils were dilated. He was perspiring and trembling. He looked as if his hair was on end. Then still another strange thing happened, Dr. Rollins said about this patient. He said, don't you understand? I'm in hell. Don't let me go back to hell. The man was serious. And it finally occurred to me that he was indeed in trouble. He was in a panic like I'd never seen before. No one who could have heard his screams and saw the look of terror on his face could doubt for a single minute that he was actually in a place called hell. Dr. Rawlins said that the man described hell as being underground within the earth. It changed this doctor's life until he spent the rest of his life convincing or testifying, hoping to convince people of the reality of hell and their need to avoid it. Dr. Henry Morris Christian creation scientists and Christian apologetic wrote a book some years ago, The Bible Has the Answer. And speaking about the reference to hell, he says, so far as we can tell from the scripture, the present hell is somewhere in the heart of the earth itself. He talks about the writers of scriptures and how they speak about where hell is. The writers certainly themselves believed hell to be real and geographically beneath the earth's surface. The great pit, otherwise known as hell, the great pit, would only need to be about a hundred miles or less in diameter to contain, with much room to spare, all the 40 billion or so people who have ever lived, assuming their spiritual bodies are the same size as their physical bodies. Jesus has a lot to say about hell and the fires of hell. Again now, geographically we're told it's beneath the earth. In most places on the earth's surface, one has to drill about, if I hope I have my numbers right, about 15 miles into the heart of the earth to come to the center of the earth. There are some places on the ocean floor, however, where the earth is a mile deep before one reaches the core. Jesus talks about what scientists only recently recovered in maybe the last 50 years or 100 years. The Bible's been talking about thousands of years before. Luke 16 and 24, Jesus talks about a place of fire. He says, the rich man said, I'm tormented in this flame. In Matthew 13 and 42, Jesus talks about those who will be cast into the furnace of fire. Well, they'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Suffering like you've never imagined. You don't want to go there. You don't have to go there. Nobody has to go to hell. Matthew 24, 45, depart from me. He cursed into everlasting fire. Revelation 20, 15, talking about a place of fire. It is said, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. April 10, 1987, the Birmingham News, Birmingham, Alabama, had an article entitled, The Earth's Center Hotter Than the Sun's Surface. Is what scientists says. The article stated that scientists have recently discovered the Earth's inner core has a temperature of over 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The Earth's core is where brimstone is. Fire is. All right. Lay aside for just a moment. Say maybe you think, ah, I'm not all about this Bible stuff. Okay. Just lay aside that just for a moment. 
and just take the scientific stuff. Have you ever seen, by way of video or live scene, the eruption of a volcano? You've come too late to tell me that with the violent eruption of Mount St. Helen in 1980, when scientists tells us, and I may have that number up here, Mr. Pierre Kohler on the book Volcanoes said about the volcanic eruption of Mount St. Helen in 1980 that 150 tons of sulfuric gas ejected from Mount St. Helen. Just just a scientific intellectual knowledge about volcanoes, its eruptions, its depth, molten lava, seas and oceans of lava. And the destruction can tell somebody that hell must be real. Or the heart of the earth is full of fire. Job wrote about it 3,000 years before Jesus. We're just now finding out the word of God is true. I I will hasten and I will try to wrap this up in the next few moments. A lady by the name of Catherine Baxter in 1997, by her testimony, and now she has written a book called Divine Revelation of Hell. I've heard her testimony, some of which on cassette tape. Back then, cassette was popular. I've read her paperback, some of her paperback book, Divine Revelation. I, I can't authentic, authenticate her uh, 100% because I haven't met her personally, but... What she shares in this book, I can authenticate as it bears resemblance to what the Bible says about hell. I'm hurrying now. She said for 30 different nights, 30 different nights, Jesus visited her and took her on a three-hour journey in her sleep for 30 nights to hell. And there Jesus showed her graphically, descriptively, Horrific as it was, though he protected her, what hell is like. And he told her that I'm showing you this so you could tell others not to go there. In her book, she describes as a place where all human senses are still alert in hell. If you're still with me, say amen. You don't have to buy her book to know that. The rich man said, come dip. Your finger in water and touch my tongue. My senses are scorching. He had his vision. He could see Lazarus in Abraham. Can I get a witness here? Oh, you know, people think, well, I'll be annihilated. I'll be burned up and consumed if I go to hell. So it can't be that bad. The Bible says there's no annihilation, no liberation. Continual. She talks about horrid screams. She, I'll just put them on the, on, on the slide here. And, and you can, I don't need to explain them. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up for the sake of time. Brothers and sisters, America makes fun of hell. Hollywood makes fun of hell. Halloween makes entertainment of hell. Anybody hearing me? When you go to hell, one of the one, one, Ted Turner has taken great delight in bragging about going to hell. Because he was disappointed with Jesus some years ago when he prayed for Jesus to heal his sister who was sick. And Jesus didn't heal his sister. And therefore, billionaire Ted Turner said, Jesus must not be real. How many know God doesn't heal everybody so we live eternally down here? One day we all going to die. Some sooner than later. This is not our final home and this is not our final house. 
And people make a lot of fun about hell. Oh, it's just somebody's mind. It's just... I don't mean to be too light here, but, well, I, I bet. Let me tell you, you are not going to have a best buddy in hell. You're not going to have folks to hang out with, play cards, drink beer, and do play volleyball. Wherever that hell came from is not true. There will be weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. There will be the senses and the ability to remember that I went to South Metro Ministries on October 16, 2011. And the pastor had the gall to preach on hell. And I thought, I needed to help my finances that Sunday. I needed to help my marriage that Sunday. I, I, I needed to, to know how uh, to get over hurts and pains on, on that. And he preached on hell. And if you then remember it, part of the agony of hell is that we missed the opportunity of response. Oh, we didn't miss it. Pardon me. We didn't take advantage of the opportunity. I close with this illustration. A true illustration. I heard it told. One of, one of the most, uh, one of the largest churches in America some years ago, especially like in the 70s, was the Hammond, Indiana First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, obviously, Dr. Dr. Jack Hiles. Dr. Jack Hiles had a far-reaching bus ministry. He would bring hundreds and thousands of people on buses, school buses that he purchased and refixed and other, to his church for the gospel. He would he, he would uh, he had a, like an army of buses all over Metro Hammond, Indiana, and twenty, thirty miles an hour away. He would bus people in by the hundreds and thousands. His church was exploding. And he, he spent the, the last part of his, his years of ministry uh, preaching on salvation. 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 Dr. Evie Hill is now with the Lord. He used to pastor in Los Angeles. An African-American pastor. He would travel to conferences where he and Dr. Hiles were guest speakers at the conference. And Dr. Hill approached Dr. Hiles on one occasion and said to him, Jack, every conference we speak in all across America, the themes are different and they invite us to come and address the theme. But every time I hear you preach, Jack, at, at whatever conference, you always close out with a salvation message. Get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved. Jack, why is it you always preach in salvation? And Dr. Hiles said, Brother Hill, I'll tell you why. He said, some years ago, my sister, my older sister, was visiting my wife and I in Hammond. And we had a wonderful evening, had dinner together. And, and after the evening went on, we dismissed ourselves. And she went upstairs to her bedroom. My wife and I stayed downstairs in our bedroom and bid each other good night. My sister, my wife and I separated. He said, during the night, I was awoken in the early morning hours by a blood-curling, hellish piercing scream he said I sat right up in my bed it startled me and my wife and we both began to figure out what is going on and when we determined it came from the upstairs bedroom where my sister was supposed to be sleeping we thought oh my god what's happened to sis he quickly put on a, a, a robe 
got himself presentable and rushed upstairs to this bedroom door that was closed where his sister was still screaming, piercing, horrific, anguishing scream, the top of her voice. He called out and yelled to her, but she didn't snap out of it. He got close enough to her and shook her and she still didn't snap out. He thought she must be having a nightmare. He shook her just a little bit more sternly and she snapped out. She said, oh my God, Jack. Oh my God, Daddy is in hell. What do you mean, sis? He said, Jack, oh Jack, an angel of God in a dream just took me down to hell, Jack. She said, in my dream, and her body's still shaking according to the testimony, and she, her voice is still quivering, and her eyes are still puddled with tears. In my dream, the angel and I were dropping, dropping like in a bottomless pit until we came to a tunnel, and we were dropped into this tunnel like a suction kind of thing. And, and in this tunnel, we were dropping and dropping, and, and, and we were going deeper, and the deeper we went, the darker it was. And the darker it was, the more we heard the screams and the yells and the torturous cries, and it stunk, Jack. The more deeper we went, it was stinking, it was nasty, it was filthy, and it got darker and darker. And it got so, oh, oh, Jack, we fell out of the tunnel at a gate with bars. And there was fire all around, acres and acres and miles and miles. And, and there were ghosts, not, not ghosts, but skeleton-like figures of flesh falling off of bones. And where I, I saw, I couldn't determine who, because when I looked at where the head is and the eye supposed to be, there was no eyes in the socket. And Jack, at the gate of hell, with holding the bars of the gate of hell, when the angel and I stopped, there was our daddy shaking the bars of hell and crying out, flesh hanging from him, worms in his body, and pain of death and scream around him, let me out, let me out, Jack, daddy is in hell. Jack Howell says, I've never stopped preaching salvation, 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 because I don't want your daddy, your mother, your daughter, your child in hell. Bow your heads, please. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters, in that slide, if you will, while the heads are bowed, hell is not for you. It never was created for you. The only way you get there is deliberately stepping over the cross of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus and the Word of God, all of which points to heaven. Jesus said, Whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want everybody in the church to stand with me. Everybody stand now. But when you stand, bow your heads again still, if you will. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, no matter of fact, I want you to look at me just a minute. I just got, I just got by, by just that turning that one slide, I got one more thought. I just got to. You know what Jesus said? If your hand offends you, cut it off. If it makes you go to hell, better you go into heaven and amputee with one hand because I'll give you a glorified body than to burn in hell's fire forever. Jesus said he's so strongly tilt against hell. If your foot offends you, makes you go to hell because you keep going to places raising hell, cut your foot off. Better you go into 
heaven and amputee because I'll give you a new foot and leg than to hell and burn forever. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, you're looking at stuff and lusting stuff, pluck it out of your head. Better you go blind in one eye than burn in hell with both. He doesn't mean for you to pluck your eye, cut your arm or your leg. He's already paid the price. But he's saying hell is so severe. Avoid it at all cost. Now again, bow your heads. Pastor, pray for me. I need to be saved. Raise your hands if that's you. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to pump it up. I've just preached. And if the Holy Ghost can't do it, hold it up high. Hold it up, Pastor. I will not go to hell. I have another chance. I'm raising my hands right now. Pray, Christians. Nobody else looking around. Pray. Hold it up high. I, I want to just count it. I won't call your name. I don't even know everybody. One, two, three, four, five. Somebody six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Now, now you may put them down. Now everybody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Yeah. 16 here, 11 in the first service, and here's the prayer. I want everybody now to pray this prayer out loud, even if you're saved. You pray it so somebody else can be encouraged. I want you to close your eyes once more. And repeat after me, everybody. Lord Jesus, thank you for another chance. I will not waste it. I have sinned. Knowing right, I have done wrong. And Lord Jesus, I deserve to die. As a penalty for my sin, I deserve hell. But thank you, Jesus, for voluntarily coming to the cross, suffering and dying in my place. And today, Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. And today, I make you my Savior. Wash away all my sins. Write my name in the book of life. Today, Lord, I give my life to you. Help me to cut away from anybody and anything that might lead me to hell. Help me, Lord Jesus, to live for you. That others might know there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. I'm saved. Amen. Put your hands together one more time and praise Him. Come on, come on, come on. Give the Lord a rowdy applause. Rounding applause. Come on.